Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The news continues. Let's hand over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Our thanks, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Breaking tonight... New Jersey's Democrat Governor Phil Murphy eked out a win against his opponent, Republican Jack Citarelli, much closer than expected. CNN has just projected the win for Murphy, who has been reelected governor by more than 22,000 votes. Now, even though this is a big surprise, if it holds, you do have to give Murphy a little bit of a nod because he will be, would be, the first Democratic governor to get a second straight term in four decades. But because this was so close, when polls showed Murphy leading comfortably, it has to add to the concerns for Democrats. Uh, You have this, you have Virginia, and you have other strong signals uh, that they need to listen to. Now, I am going to give you something a little different, all right? I've been watching the coverage all day just like you. I'm not here to beat up on the Democrats. They do that far too well themselves. And I'm not here to say we learned something new last night, like so many in the media, because we didn't. Here's what I see. The simple rules of politics still apply. Democrats were given a mandate to get things done. They haven't. So the people who put them there were not as anxious to come out to reward them for not doing what they said they would do. Turnout was lower and in a bunch of races. You saw the results. This is not simply about the mood of the country or Democrats misunderstanding the same or some new reckoning or reality. And any media saying otherwise are trying to seem smarter than they were the day before yesterday. Voters care about household issues always. Okay. What is also obvious today is that the Democrat reaction so far to the returns may be more of a problem than the returns themselves. They seem intent on eating their own more than feeding people what they want. They should listen to Ted Lasso. Be a goldfish, shortest memory in the animal kingdom. Learn the lesson and do better for people with the power they gave you. Don't obsess over the result. Still, even if they do, and I think they will, for at least the rest of this week. I still don't think the Democrats have a five alarm fire, as has been said. But if they do, it's because they have sat and watched and blown on the flames of a two, three, and four alarm fire. People keep saying, get things done. They say, what about inflation? What's going on with gas prices? What about all these changes to the messaging about COVID? Did the Democrats speak to those issues? Did they do so well and consistently? Will they now? You know, no small irony, the Democrats have bills that will do more for people who didn't vote for them than those same voters have ever been offered before. But what did the Democrats do? They made their bills about how much they cost. Price tag politics 
can create a paradox. People can like the policies, but not the price tag. Look at the polls of independent voters. It's exactly how they feel. Like the policies, not the price tag. That's not fair. Fair is the only four-letter word. Doesn't exist. Perception is reality in politics. It's what you sell. In Virginia, the real story is a Republican showed you that you can win on the same problems that Trump trumpeted without being like Trump. Youngkin tapped into education, but as a culture war. Conservative anger over critical race theory, which very few people know that much about, but it scares them. Why? Because the issue gets framed as white fright. They're coming for you. You're to blame for everything. Now you got to take your medicine. The idea of big government taking away your rights. And Youngkin's opponent, Terry McAuliffe, played right into that fear. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Now, the governor was referring to parents getting involved in what books should be part of the curriculum. But this is politics. Perception is reality. It's a spin game. And what he said was spun and used, arguably out of context. In fact, I think it was, but it doesn't matter. It came off as tone deaf and insulting to parents. Something that the left part of the Democratic Party and their pundits and their media pals can do too often. And ultimately, in politics, talking down to people you want to raise you up is not a winning combination. Democrats should not be shocked that parents want input about what their kids learn in school. And if they think people are too dumb to control their kids or their bodies, watch them control their votes in the midterms. The GOP nominee in New Jersey, Citarelli, also kept Trump at arm's length. But he made his campaign about a lot of the same themes and hit those household issues. Taxes, taxes, taxes. Bad decisions by Democrats. Tax and spend. Businesses get beaten up under Democrats. That was the message. And the response should be focus on fixes that help with the obvious and talk about that a lot. Will the Democrats? They didn't misread a mood. They are just intentionally not matching the mood. Don't just look at Virginia. Look at Minneapolis, Minnesota. The idea that police have to go or be reimagined was crushed. Look at Buffalo. Okay. The lefty fringe wins in the primary with an out and out socialist. Okay. And then the write-in candidate apparently killed it in the general. A write-in candidate, often referred to as an other, okay? Yes, not here in Buffalo. The write-in choice likely seems to have been the incumbent. But he lost in the primary and may still win. He wasn't even on the ticket. What does that tell you? Do what you said you would do. Don't tell people you know better how to live their lives than they do. And remember, this is a center, center left country. Those were all truisms long before yesterday's races. And when you ignore the realities, you lose. You know who admits that? Someone who should know better. What I do know is, I do know that people want us to get things done. They want us to get things done. People are upset 
and uncertain about a lot of things from COVID to school to jobs to a whole range of things. What happened was, uh, I think we have to just produce results for them to change their standard of living and give them a little more breathing room. And Mr. President, with all due respect, you need to say those things a lot more in a lot more places. Use the bully pulpit or you will get beaten by people who use it better than you do. Instead of pitching policies that people should want, his party is bragging about the price tag. And as I explained, there can be a paradox on that. They decided also to have this intramural fight while the opposing team just pointed at them and said, this is getting things done. And of course, yes, the Democrats are up against a party that is all about making them fail. But that's the state of play. And the team leader for that team in the Senate, he has the right advice. The Democratic Party has wildly misread their mandate. This was in large part a referendum on national issues. Democrats should listen to the voters. You should know. He fell into the same hole in 2018. You remember the GOP with Trump? Caravans, brown menace, as I called them. Remember that? What did Democrats run on in those midterms? And yes, it was a first term incumbent and they have risk and exposure in the midterms. But what did the Democrats run on? Did they fight that culture war, even though I believe they had incredibly high ground? There was no caravan coming here to kill you and steal your jobs. It was all a lie. No, healthcare costs. Why? Because you guys care about what matters to you in everyday life, and you should. The Democrats crushed him in 2018, forgot the lesson. Why? Because we didn't see anything new. The rules still apply. And here's a tweak. What works on Twitter does not always work at the polls, okay? The good news for Democrats is this was not the midterms. They have time. What will they do with that time? How will they sell what they do with that time? Now, here's what they better not do. Try to win a war of attrition. The right is all in on what's wrong. Can the left show they can make things right? We'll see. And we're going to see right away because the next battle is upon us. Vaccines for kids. What's the message? What backs up the message? How is it delivered? How consistent is it? Does it change? And you better not use the M word. Don't even use it. We have Dr. Fauci here tonight to make the case to a parent with concerns. You know who that is? Me. Now, to the better minds about last night, Stuart Stevens, former Republican strategist, Scott Jennings, former special assistant to President George W. Bush. Gentlemen, both, thank you for being with me tonight. Scott, I start with you. Uh, what was the lesson for you uh, as Republicans and then the takeaway you believe for Democrats? Well, thanks, Chris. I think the lesson for Republicans is, and call me old fashioned, but it's platforms work. Uh, quite literally, the Republicans didn't write a platform in 2020. And this time around in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin wrote a platform. He had issues, education, quality of life, economy, crime. He wrote down a list of things that, that he was worried about because he was listening to his voters. He wrote down a list of things that he would do about it, reforming the DMV. You know, these are things that affect your quality of life. And he ran on it and he never took the bait of the fundamentally unserious campaign run by the Democrats, which was solely focused on one thing, 
lie about Glenn Youngkin and try to turn him into Donald Trump. Stewart was part of it. It did not work because it wasn't true. And had Glenn Youngkin taken that bait, he would have been drugged down into that mire, and I think he would have lost. But he stuck to a platform. He won on an issues-based campaign. So the lesson for Republicans, listen to the voters, write a platform, run on issues. And I think the lesson for Democrats is if you thought you were going to run these midterms all on Trump, you were sorely mistaken because the party is not going to let you get away with it. Now, throw a little comma in there, which is you also don't have to give Trump a bear hug every five minutes, no matter how obnoxious and terrible what he says is. Let's see if that carries forward as well. So, Stuart, the main criticism is uh, it was Terry McAuliffe. Sure, the Lincoln Project with the stunt uh, with the Charlottesville people played into it. But Democrats all over the country are talking about Trump like he was a step away from the White House. Uh, Do you guys regret what you did at the Lincoln Project and that approach by Democrats? No, look, I I think it's very difficult to look at what happened here and say that somehow um, the Lincoln Project interfered with a winning Democratic strategy. The problem with Democrats, and Scott Jennings been running the Democratic campaign. He's a fantastic campaign manager. He would have known what to do. What he would have done is gone out and defined Glenn Youngkin very quickly. Glenn Youngkin is someone who wouldn't have won that nomination without uh, Donald Trump's endorsement. Donald Trump endorsed him seven times. Youngkin has said that he'll vote for Donald Trump in 2024. So here you have someone running for governor of the state of Virginia, a key state in the history of the United States of America, who is supporting a candidate who attempted to overthrow the government of the United States and says that he will support that person before. You have to go out there. Races will be about something. Scott is right when you say that McAuliffe didn't have enough of an agenda. I can't tell you the five things that Terry McAuliffe would have done as governor, but he could have won this race if he had gone about aggressively defining what the race was about and defining his opponent. I mean, Um, it's just kind of politics 101. First of all, this was a very, this was a close race, Um, but I I think that uh, let's finesse a point here, Stuart, and then I'm going to come back obviously to Scott for the rejoinder on it. Um, Look, the insurrection was real. Uh, attempts to make it anything other than it was are shameful and dangerous. Uh, I think that that's the only reasonable uh, approach to look at it. But, but the idea that this is all going to be about tying somebody to Trump and this guy's he's, he's all about Trump. The guy's back in Trump. If people don't like Trump, you already got him. If people do like Trump, you'll never get him. So, Stuart, the idea of this is about the democracy Isn't that almost a dead letter with Democrats who haven't done anything about securing voting rights while they've been in power? If it's such a big deal, if it's so bad, why can't they even get their own party to do something? Well, that's a question to ask the Democratic Party. And uh, look, I spent 30 years pointing out flaws in the Democratic Party, so I have a pretty good track record of that. I think if you're saying what you said up front, Chris, if the Democrats would be a lot better off if they pass stuff that people care about, The answer is overwhelmingly yes. But what you have to do is you have to shape this narrative. You have to say, what is at stake? This isn't a normal time. The mistake that was made in Virginia is to run, allow Republicans to run a race as if this was a normal time, as if Donald Trump had been a normal president, as if the Republican Party wasn't asserting that the current president of the United States was elected illegally. That's not what you should do. You can't do that. You can't treat this like a normal time. Now, you've got to go out and you've got to dig the ditch you're going to die in and you have to fight for it. And look, in 2002, the last time that uh, a party in power gained seats, 
I was part of that. Mm -hmm. Scott was part of that. We nationalized that race. Right. We nationalized it around domestic security. That's what Democrats need to do about democracy. And they need to get about stopping Republicans from using code words like critical race theory, trying to ban the only black Nobel Prize laureate in literature in America and call them out for what it is. Be aggressive. Terrorism, you know, domestic safety, whatever you want to call it, that was an easy sell to the American people because you gave somebody an other. You gave them Muslim extreme Islamists. And they could all get together around the fact that they were all afraid of that caricature. You don't have that right now, even with the existential battle for the democracy. However, Scott Jennings, there is an instruction uh, in Stewart's argument for you guys. You're all quiet now about these election returns. You're just fine with them because you won. Um, however, if your party falls back into the midterms of, I bet you it's rigged if we don't win. I bet you if it's rigged, we don't win. Are you worried? about what kind of sell that is uh, to the American people that undercuts our democracy. Well, uh, let, me, let me just address this issue in the context of Virginia. You know, Stewart and company have argued that democracy is at stake and these races should be framed around how serious that issue is. And they've demanded that Republicans embrace that theory. Well, Glenn Youngkin comes along, a conservative Republican with a standard set of Republican ideas to solve problems. And at the same time says, Joe Biden was a legitimately elected president. He renounced January 6th. He had nothing to do with it. He said it was weird and bad. He totally stepped away from all of it, did True. not embrace it in any way, shape, or form. And still, except Stuart by and the Democrats beat him about the head and face. And so you can't have it both ways. Well, you cannot demand that the Republicans do what Stewart wants them to do. And then when they do it, claim that they're Donald Trump right, Jr. True, anyway. True. It's not right and it's not going to work. All right, true. But you got to take the dudgeon down a little bit because the guy took the endorsement. He had Trump talking for him all the time. He said he's going to vote for Trump. So Donald Trump didn't even go to Virginia. He didn't appear in the state one time. Well, I think that there are good reasons for that, especially when you look at the way now Governor-elect Youngkin um, took his phone call, <laughs> which is to be like, who are you uh, afterwards, which I understand also. I'm just saying, you guys won, you don't complain. You lose, you better not complain. That's all I'm saying. You got to put the democracy first. This is a good discussion and I appreciate it. It is to be continued. Scott Jennings, thank you very much. Stuart Stevens also. You're both a plus. Appreciate you. Now, one of the best ways to understand what just happened is to not just look at the parties, okay, and, and that play. Look at the people, all right? Let's bring in the whiz who's going to show us what brought independence out this time, okay? And how did progressives run into so much trouble across the country, barely hanging on in New Jersey? The answer is in the numbers. Next. Breaking news, Governor Phil Murphy apparently wins re-election in New Jersey. Race was very close. Now, you look at that two ways. Uh, he is like the first Democrat in decades to win consecutive terms, but he was expected to win by a big margin, and he didn't. Let's discuss with our Wizard of Odds, Harry Enten. We're not going to focus on the parties. We're going to look at who came out and why. What do you have for us in terms of uh, why the Democrats did badly in terms of by the numbers? How bad? I mean, Virginia and New Jersey, two different states. We were all focusing in on Virginia. 
But to me, the story is the exact same in both of those states. Look at the shift in the vote from 2020 to 2021. The GOP actually gained more points on the margin in New Jersey, 15 points than in Virginia, 12. You were saying, oh, you know, he's the first uh, Democrat to win re-election since Brendan Byrne, I think back in the late 70s. I'm not impressed by that. The fact is, is that a lot of politics today are nationalized and an incumbent governor who, at least according to the polling, was fairly well liked and he almost lost in a state that Joe Biden won by 16 points. This is awful across the board. And we've seen that across contests so far this year, special elections where Democrats are vastly undergoing the baseline from 2020. Hmm. Um, Very interesting. Voters who didn't want Biden or Donald Trump. Yeah went to Youngkin in Virginia by a two to one margin. Unpack. Democrats, Terry McAuliffe wanted to make that campaign about Donald Trump. And look, Donald Trump was not very well liked. Uh, His unfavorable rating in the poll was 55%, but Joe Biden's disapproval rating was 53%. And that I think is the big problem here is Democrats want to make this about the, the unpopular guy on the other side. They have an unpopular guy on their side. And the key part of that electorate are the voters who didn't like Donald Trump and didn't like Joe Biden. They went overwhelmingly for Yunkin. And this reminds me a lot of what we saw in 2016, where there were a lot of voters, in fact, more voters who disliked Donald Trump than disliked Hillary Clinton. But Donald Trump was able to win because he won the voters who disliked both of them. And we saw that exact same thing happen last night in Virginia. And that's a very worrisome sign for Democrats hanging the midterms, given how unpopular Joe Biden is at this point. Also, people who don't like Trump um, came out four points less than those who don't like Biden. Now, you can say, well, 96, 92. I mean, yeah, but these races are all so close now that it matters. Another interesting outcome, Minneapolis, um, the idea that, hey, we want to uh, overhaul policing. It was crushed in Minneapolis not the whole state of Minnesota, meaning that you had ethnic diversity in there, you had racial diversity in here, uh, economic diversity in there. What do you take away from it? I mean, it's not, you know, look, Minneapolis is a very, very democratic city, but it's not just that the police referendum to, you know, basically reform the police department went down. Jacob Fry, who was the incumbent mayor who was against that reform, also won. So it's not just the policy that lost. It was also the candidates who champion the policies. So essentially, voters are rewarding those people who are actually backing the police department, uh, at least not wanting reform in the way that that referendum did. And we've seen that throughout the country is that for the most part, people actually like the police. They don't like defund the police, which honestly is one of the worst slogans I've ever heard. Uh, Harry Anton, you know what? You gave him more than enough already. The Wizard of Odds, thank you very much. We're going to be keep unpacking what we learn. I don't want to overwhelm them too much. You do a great job. And thank you very much, Wiz. Appreciate thank you, you, my friend. A moderate Democrat. Okay. Boy, that's like, I don't even know. Does that, does that even exist now? Uh, what does a moderate Democrat think of the message delivered by voters? I'm going to bring one in and we're going to have a conversation right after this. not just the media linking the Democrats' loss in Virginia to the party's struggles in Washington. Here is the president of the United States today. I think we should have, it should have passed before Election Day, but I'm not sure that I would be able to have changed the 
number of very conservative folks who turned out in the red districts who were Trump voters, but maybe, maybe. Mr. President, again, with all due respect, it is your people who didn't come out and it's people who put you there who didn't come out, independents specifically. Let's bring in a Democrat in Congress and a member of the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus uh, to discuss this. This is Representative Carolyn Bordeaux. It's great to have you on primetime. And I want to remind people uh, that you were the only Democrat to flip a House seat last year. And your district, suburban Atlanta, none of what is being discussed or should be discussed is new to you. You learned nothing last night that you didn't already know from your own race. So what do you hope comes from what happened? Well, good to be here. And I, I hope what we do is we recenter ourselves around messages like the one that I ran on. And people can go look at my closing ads. I ran on bipartisanship, fiscal responsibility, getting the economy back on track, and addressing really serious pocketbook issues for people in my community like healthcare. And I think this is a, a chance to reset, to take a moment and really uh, reflect on those and then deliver on the promises that many of us made during our campaigns. It's the last part that you guys are struggling with. Uh, how frustrating is it for you to have a basket of policies that are wildly popular with the same people who just voted against Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, and yet it's being sold as really about the price tag? Yeah, and that's been something I've talked about a lot with the, internally and with the administration, that we, we need to focus on what is in these bills. And I've been very pleased at how we've reframed the Build Back Better agenda and what's in that bill. Uh, very important to me, of course, is Medicaid expansion, the uh, health insurance premium subsidies, bringing down the cost of prescription medications. Those are all things I ran on, and I am looking forward to getting out there and talking to people about how we are delivering uh, on our promises. You know, I, it was an interesting quote that just came out uh, from uh, Representative Spamberger. I want to put up uh, a uh, the text of it and have you give me what you take from it. Uh, Democratic Congresswoman on Biden. Nobody elected him to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. Agree, disagree, and why? Absolutely agree. And we've actually talked about this. The, the election with Biden, it was about competence, kindness, uh, up against chaos, racism, incompetence uh, that we saw coming out of the Trump administration. People wanted that sense of return to normal. They wanted an administration that got things done, that was competent. And I think, again, going back to sort of what I ran on, uh, recentering ourselves around that message is very important. But if they didn't elect him to be FDR, just as a funny aside, when I interviewed him during the campaign, he actually said he wanted to do FDR-like things. Um, but if that's true, then why would the Democrats put so much into these spending bills instead of picking things that were main ticket items and getting some wins, getting some points on the board for people early on? Well, if, if you know me, I've been a big advocate for getting the bipartisan infrastructure bill done. I thought that was a great bill. It was bipartisan. It addressed some really key needs in my community, uh, addressed climate change. So I was very anxious and continue to be anxious to get that win up on the boards. Um, but I like how we've reframed the Build Back Better plan. It is more focused. It's paid for, something very important to me, fiscal responsibility. It's actually more than paid for right now. Uh, 
with uh, more revenues uh, being raised and being spent. So it'll actually leave some behind to help tackle the deficit. So I think we've got a, a good package here. Uh, it's much more focused as well. And uh, I think we need to now focus on delivering and getting the job done. Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Great to be here. A giant step forward. That's the quote uh, that President Biden uses for the CDC's authorization of COVID vaccine for kids 5 to 11. Now, I believe this is the next battleground for Democrats and the administration. How do you get people to give their kids this vaccine? This ain't the same game as having people like me and you take it. Dr. Anthony Fauci is here to have a real conversation with a parent who has real questions. Next. The darkness, 750,000 COVID deaths in this country. The light, kids five to 11 are now starting to get the Pfizer vaccine. Starting the week of November 8th, our vaccination program for kids ages 5 through 11 will be running at full strength. You know why I showed you that instead of footage of kids getting shots? Because I can't think of a worse way to get parents uh, kind of geared up to get their kids the vaccine than to show needles going in the arms of kids. Now, let's talk the real talk with Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's great to have you, Doc. I've been seeing you out there uh, doing the opening round of messaging uh, on this. I think it is critical. You're not a politician, uh, but it is critically important for the Biden administration uh, to have this conversation and the messaging be very clear. Are you guys aware of the stakes here? Yes, very much so. It's, it's important for the children. We have 28 million children from five to 11 years old who will benefit personally from a health standpoint, but also important in the ultimate control of the outbreak. Uh, You could look at it from two vantage points, Chris. You look at the children who have been infected uh, right now uh, from five to 11, the number of deaths, there've been close to 100 deaths. There have been about 8,300 hospitalizations, about 2,300 incidences of this multi-system inflammatory disease and about 2 million children have been infected. So purely on the basis of the protection of the children, it's important. We also know now that children can and do spread infection in the context of the school and in the household. So there are so many reasons why. As you mentioned about messaging, it's critical, Chris, and I agree with you about that. Parents are gonna ask very reasonable questions. They're gonna wanna know the data. They're gonna wanna be assured of the efficacy and the safety. And it's up to us to make that information very clearly available to them. So let's just go through a couple of the punch points. The first one uh, is we don't know that this is safe for kids. Uh, MRNA, yes, I know you guys have been working on it for a long time, uh, but you're just basically cutting the dose for kids. We haven't really seen enough. It's too risky. I'll take anything. I'm an adult. My kid, I'm much more cautious. What's the response? Okay. Well, the response is that the safety profile is really quite good. You know, the FDA, which is the gold standard of regulation throughout the world, takes very seriously. So when they examine the data of the safety and the efficacy for the benefit-risk ratio, their advisors and they themselves made it very clear that the benefit clearly outweighed any risk. Getting kids infected is far, far worse than getting any rare event 
of an adverse event. The mm. CDC and their advisory committee on immunization practices voted 14 to zero for the regulation to be put into effect to get the children vaccinated. A lot of thought and a lot of care has gone into this. Those are the kind of messages we have to get to the parents who understandably would have reasonable questions. Two more quick things. Uh, they just don't get that sick and they're in school. And when there's a case, there's a case here, there's a case there, but it doesn't really spread. And in our family, everybody's had it, but Chacha, uh, the 11 year old Carolina. Right. So, you know, I don't know what's going on with her, uh, but she didn't get it. Everyone around her has been sick. Her friends are sick. I don't want to give it to her. Now, that's not true. I'll, I'll give her the vaccine. My wife uh, has done the research. Uh, that's how she feels. So I really don't even have a say. But a lot of parents are going to feel that way. This kid has had people get sick around him uh, or her. Nobody gets that sick. Why take the risk with the vaccine? Well, it is true that about 50% of the children are asymptomatic. That's the first thing. But they can spread the infection. Chris, you've got to look at history. We have vaccinated children for diseases that have far less severity, far less mortality than what we're dealing with now with COVID-19. We really have a responsibility to protect the children. You don't want to play Russian roulette with this. You don't want to say, well, this kid doesn't get infected, so I'm not going to worry about the other child. True, it is absolutely true, you can't walk away from it, that the likelihood of a severe illness in a child is less than for an elderly individual or a person with an underlying condition. But it is enough that you really wanna be concerned about protecting the children. That's the rationale together with the fact that you wanna to help to control the outbreak. Now, when we start to get the data of kids being vaccinated, the only thing that I ask is, as soon as you guys see things in the data, let us know, good, bad, or neutral. Don't let the numbers get that, ahead of the explanation of the same. That has always been the case, Chris, and it will continue to be the case, I promise you that. All right, because you know we know there've been problems with that, where you guys knew things, the CDC knew things, but they weren't telling people yet, or they did tell people, but they didn't tell them enough. We've learned the lessons. We know how to do it right. Dr. Anthony Fauci, I, I really appreciate you coming on, having the straight talk. Thank you for having me, Chris. All right, be well. Now, uh, the Baldwin movie set shooting. I hate that we're calling it that, but you know, the, the Rust movie, whatever you want to call it. The legal team for the armorer who was in charge of the gun is now suggesting sabotage. We have someone who worked on Rust who quit the production one day before the deadly shooting over safety concerns. Why and what does a pro make of the new explanation from the armor? The lawyers for the rust armorer, 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez Reed, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, that's her full name, have a new theory to explain how a gun that she was in charge of ended up with a live round. There was a box of dummy rounds, and the, the box is labeled dummy. She loaded rounds from that box into the, the handgun, uh, only later to find out there is a, and she had no idea, she inspected the rounds, that there was a live round. Now, we're assuming somebody put the live round in that box, which if you, if you think about that, 
the person who put the live round in the box of dummy rounds had to have the purpose of sabotaging this set. They don't know that any of that happened, by the way. They don't have any evidence of that. Okay, so what does it mean? Um, we're going to talk about it with a crew member because crew members are coming forward. You're about to meet one of them who wanted off of that set because of unsafe working conditions. Okay, our guest was Rust's camera chief. He left the day before all this happened. His name is Lane Looper. Lane, thank you very much. Let me bounce a couple of um, tech questions off of you, and then we'll talk about your situation. First, do you buy the sabotage theory? No, and if they have any evidence of that, they should be you know, talking to the sheriff and not uh, morning television shows. It's dangerous and it's an irresponsible theory to put out on TV. And you never heard anybody saying that they wanted to do something like that or have any inclination of why someone would try to do something like that? No, absolutely not, okay. Chris. You know, a movie sets, it's a group of friends. You know, everybody there, you know, they deeply care for each other. Right. Oh, look, I mean, you know, th their job, if there's any litigation, is going to be to cast doubt. Uh, that's what they're doing yeah, there. Course. They don't have to prove it, remember. But uh, the idea that someone who's an armorer could load dummy bullets and actually be loading live rounds and not know it, even if they say they inspected the rounds. I that. I mean, that would, in my opinion, that's sheer negligence. You know, it's not paying attention to what you're doing. You know, uh, it, it's it's absolutely your responsibility as the armor to make sure that you're, you know, properly loading the firearm and inspecting it before and after, and also not loading the firearm until right before you're going to shoot. You see, we actually have instructions for that. We have, you know, industry-wide safety bulletins that specifically spell this out. Now, you left the job right before because of safety concerns. Uh, I want you to talk about it in the context of the response from the Rust producers, okay? Uh, Mr. Looper's allegations around budget and safety are false, patently. He had absolutely nothing to do with or knowledge of safety protocols or budgets. Safety is always the number one priority on our films, and it's truly awful to see some using this tragedy for personal gain. You make the case of why uh, you had legit safety concerns. Mm -hmm. Chris, to, to borrow a phrase from the producers, first of all, it's patently false that I'm not responsible for safety because it's everybody's responsibility on set for safety. Everyone from the production assistants all the way up to the top producers. You know, so that that that's completely out the window in my book. Um, as far as budgets and things like that go, that whole argument, it doesn't matter because what happened was is, you know, safety concerns were overlooked consistently and it led to somebody dying on a movie set. You know, and that's 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 the problem here, in my opinion. Um, do you believe that uh, your decision to, you know, to leave this set, um, had you ever done that before? No, absolutely not. It's it's unheard of. And to be honest. You know, I'm terrified of my own repercussion. Um, for them to say that this is for personal gain, it absolutely isn't. I, I don't want to be in front of cameras. I, my whole career is spent behind them. What was your biggest concern that made you leave the job? 
Well, it started out with all these red flags throughout the entire course of the production. It started with a lack of safety meetings. It started with um, inexperienced key uh, key personnel. You know, a lot of people being brought in from out of town. You know, it, it was one red flag after another red flag until finally, you know, there was the negligent discharges that happened on October 16th, where, you know, there were two firearm discharges that were not under anybody's control. And at that point, they should have stopped filming, uh, pulled the firearm out of circulation per the industry-wide safety rules, but we kept filming anyway. And gotcha. they never addressed it. And I addressed it with the producers themselves. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Look, Lane, I appreciate you coming forward and doing this and giving us some context on these allegations that have just come out and a feel for what was going on on this set. Thank you. Lane Looper, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the handoff. Thank you for watching The Big Show, Don Lemon Tonight, with its big star, D. Lemon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.